It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. So welcome uh, to the Franchise Academy. This is a great show we have tonight. This is actually a live podcast, and we go, we do this live right over YouTube. At the same time, it gets uploaded to thefranchiseacademy.com. So tonight, my guest is Tab Birkenhalter, who is a licensed CPA, actually a lawyer and a tax accountant, and the founder of The Numbers House, and he provides expert insight on all tax-related numbers uh, in franchising. So his company helps franchise owners make sure that their business is structured in a way that is advantageous in regards to taxes. And we're going to talk about a few different things, especially the deductions that most franchise owners miss. And we're also going to talk about financial tax implications in opening second franchises, exit strategies for franchise owners. So we got a lot. So welcome, Tab. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Great to have you. I'm looking forward to uh, the next couple minutes with everybody. So we're well, cool. to get started. Yeah, and we'll be uh, we'll be doing this probably for about a half hour. So hang in, and uh, we have a lot of information coming at you. So tell us a little bit about the Numbers House. What what exactly got you started in this? Two years ago, we decided to break off the CPA and the legal services into a standalone entity called the Numbers House. It's designed to be the back office support for a business owner. We handle the state and local compliance issues. We handle the taxes. We handle the bookkeeping and the record keeping. Everything that a business owner doesn't want to put up with, but is still required for them to run their business successfully. That's like amazing because like everybody needs that. Can you work with anyone across the country or are you specific in regions or states? No, we have clients all across the country. As a matter of fact, I'm leaving next Monday to fly out to Hawaii for three weeks to meet with clients out there. Tough gig to go out there. Wow. Not a bad job if you could get it, right? Exactly. <laughs> Love it. And and you're based in, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Is that right? That's correct. That is so awesome. So I, I want to get right down to the bones of it. What is the most common tax deduction that franchise owners miss? Because I'm sure that I'm one of those folks who missed it. The most common thing that we see the tax that franchise owners miss is they are so focused on the expenses that directly relate to their business, but they don't ever take into account their lifestyle that is still business related. So if you go out, say, for example, you own a restaurant and you eat a meal at another restaurant, you could classify that as being research and development. What are your competitors doing? But you have to document what you do. The government doesn't care so much as long as we're documenting how that expenditure relates to your business. So a lot of times for your franchise agreements will relate kind of what are acceptable deductions and acceptable expenses. And what we tell clients is let's go back to how you're spending your money. When you spend money, like, like right now, I'm wearing a shirt that's got our logo on it. I like the shirt. It's a nice, comfortable golf shirt. But if I put the logo on it, I can expense it as a marketing and advertising expense. 
So what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at how you spend your money and relate it back to your business. I don't know if that I, makes sense or not. Makes lots of sense. I, you know, I love that. And, and I try to share with people when they start looking at franchises that by not having a business, they're actually losing money for everyday things uh, that they could be writing off. Like you said, as an example, if you go on a trip uh, to, to uh, Europe and you take pictures of the various franchises there and, you know, maybe step in, try the food, talk to the managers, find out how they operate, you know, in Italy or Spain as compared to the United States, that's, uh, you know, could be a write-off. Am I right about that? Correct. And the, the, the goal and the secret is relating that expenditure back to your business. So several years ago, we went to Bath, England, and we stayed in a bed and breakfast. I wrote up a report for a client in Tampa, Florida, as to what a traditional English bed and breakfast was like, how we were treated, what foods were served. And that provided market research back to him to run his Tampa-based bed and breakfast with a European flair. So you just have to figure out how your how your trip or how that expenditure relates back to your business. Mm. It's just so amazing. So, and I say to folks, if if you made a hundred thousand dollars in a job on a W two, you know, Uncle Sam takes you know somewhere around thirty percent right off the top, and then you know that's what you're paying taxes right off the top. But in a business, typically you have your income, and then you have to pay your expenses and then you pay taxes on what's left. Is, is that right? That's exactly correct. With a business, you get the chance to spend every dime you can in your business. And then you just have to pay taxes on what is left over. So if you structure your business correctly, you can actually get yourself into a lower tax bracket, but still have the same lifestyle as a $100,000 W-2. And we've got a franchise owner that we work with who his income this year is right about $187,000 that he, that he used to live on. His tax return said that he made $84,000. We successfully reallocated about $100,000 of his lifestyle legitimately back into his business as an expense. The franchiser franchisor did not care what the expenses were as long as the sales taxes were paid, the income taxes were paid, and the royalty fee was paid. That's all the franchisor cared about. That's right. Yeah, and, and it's it's an amazing thing where you're able to still have a, a, a better lifestyle. So my, my in my opinion, I, I tell my candidates that your money is worth more in a business than it is in a, in a job for that reason. And I think what most, you know, Americans don't understand is that the tax code is built to do that, to incentivize the business owner. So they do well, thereby hire more people who those people then pay taxes. And you know, I think there was a big misunderstanding with the whole thing that happened in New York where I live, where Amazon was going to come in and pay all these people, you know, money to, to work at their headquarters in Queens, New York. And, and some legislators stopped it at city hall because they were getting a giant tax break. And, well, and I don't think 
they understood the big picture that they're employing all these people that are going to be paying that what amounts to about 50 percent of their salary to live in New York. Well, and that's and that's the the what I'm going to call the myopic view. A lot of times your politicians will think of infrastructure costs. They'll they think of the short term. Oh, we're bringing in 50,000 people. There's only going to generate X. They don't look at the 10 or 15 year long term of an investment like an Amazon coming into your into your city because you've got people are going to stay there longer. You're going to pay more taxes as they continue to grow in wealth. Right. And when they go out and buy their their milk and their bread and you know whatever they're buying to live on, they're paying city tax, state tax, federal tax on what they're buying. So you know, it all goes back into the economy again. And for some reason, people couldn't understand that. So well, some people couldn't understand it. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a topic for a whole nother day. And we'll be glad to, get, to do the economics of that one. But it's it's sad. I mean, it's like here in our town, we just got done. The city turned down opening up a Chick-fil-A franchise because of the traffic congestion it was going to cause <laughs> on the road. And you sit there and you think about the amount of sales tax, the traditional Chick-fil-A probably makes anywhere from four to eight million dollars in in sales. So for a city that has a nine percent sales tax like Tennessee, that's almost eight hundred thousand dollars of revenue that would have come in from allowing the restaurant to open up, but they didn't want it because they were afraid of the traffic congestion. Very very short-sighted. Exactly. It would have been congestion in the first couple of weeks because it's a novelty, but then it would have died out. Yeah, it, but anyways, it's a um, – but being in business is an exciting thing. As, as I tell my clients when they want to open up a business, opening up a business is like opening up a Lego set. You can build it to whatever you want. You get to design your logo. You get to design your name. It's a chance to be creative again. Too many people are not creative once they get into adulthood. They have pretty much been stopped from any type of source. But being a business owner, that creativity spark is reignited. And that's what makes business fun and exciting. You don't know what the next day is going to bring you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're you're definitely preaching to the choir on me on that one for sure. Having uh, you know left a very comfortable job to open up a franchise, I could uh, definitely tell you it was creative and and I loved every minute of it, and I, and it changed my life for the better. It changed the whole trajectory of my family's life, so it's really a great thing. But I want to ask you a question about the financial and tax implications of opening a second franchise location. I have a lot of listeners that have multi-unit locations. So what are you talking about in regard to that? What you start looking at is you start looking at when you open up your second location, you get to start what I call bifurcating your expenses. You could have a franchise that could have two, say, for example, that you are in New York City, but you also could have your second location that was located outside of New York City. Well, if you are inside New York City, your income tax would be higher. So you might have more expenses reallocated to your higher taxed entity and let the other franchise that's in a lower taxed jurisdiction 
start making more profit. Now, at the end of the day, your federal taxes are going to be be the same, but based upon how you get taxed on a state and local level, you can start re reapportioning so, some of your expenses in order to save some tax dollars. Oh, awesome. I think I need you to do my taxes. <laughs> we can make that happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not kidding. I could tell you some horror stories. So the uh, the thing that I find interesting is uh, something that you that you were bringing up about you know running these kind of businesses, these multi union businesses, is is that it gives you much more I don't know latitude to to make decisions and move things around and move money around and and save a lot of money in taxes, and it goes from county to county uh, and then city to city, as you had mentioned, and and I think that's a really great thing to think about. But I want to talk a little bit about you and, and your background. I, I love to get stories from folks that uh, have been in business and maybe have had some issues uh, that they <laughs> learned from. <laughs> Do you have any uh, mistakes that you've ever made that you learned from? The, the most costly mistake was a franchise that I went, I was the minority franchise or minority partner in a franchise. Yeah. And it was, there were five of us. One of them was my personal banker that got me into the franchise. I should have known something was up when he brought me in. And <laughs> the person that was supposed to be providing the money never actually wrote a check. He provided his financial statements. We all signed the personal guarantees because most franchise agreements have a personal guarantee for the first couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then we found out that he didn't really have any money to put in. But at that point in time, we were already committed $300,000 into the, into the endeavor. And we had to figure out how to make it work. So from that one, we wound up getting sued. They um, wound up settling it. Thank goodness. But I'll never forget the fact that regardless of what the balance sheet says, until the cash is sitting in the checking account for the company, it doesn't exist. <laughs> and that was that was a very costly. It's about a two and a half year lesson on that one. Wow. So what I, so what I learned is that partners are not bad. You just got to make sure that they have skin in the game. And that they are, and that that everybody's money is put in at the same time. And if not, and if somebody is not putting their money in, then you might just need to view that as a chance to step back out of the problem, yeah. because sweat equity is not the same as hard-earned cash. Yeah, that's so true, so true. I always share with people, they're like, "Oh, I'm going to get my uncle. He's going to be a silent partner," and I'm like, "Well, you know, once money's involved, there is no silent partner." <laughs> no, I because that uncle is either he's expecting a rate of return. He could come in and decide that he didn't like how you were how you were running it. We had an issue come up uh, about a week ago. We had a client that has a franchise. They had two silent partners, and the silent partners were not happy with how their daughter was being treated at the, at the franchise. Yeah. Now, so they made this huge rigmarole about the fact that they were co-owners of the franchise and very public display. And were they legally correct? Yes, they were legally co-owners of the franchise, but they had no operational control. They had no managerial control, but they controlled the purse strings. And so we create a very uh, acrimonious relationship between the people that were running the day-to-day -day operations 
who should have been responsible for how the employees handled handled everything. And then you have the silent partner because the silent partner is just saying, well, I want my money back. Well, your money is invested over here in the computers or in these people that we sent to training. It's not sitting in the bank. We can't just write you a check for it. Right, right. Yeah, it, it gets sticky sometimes, doesn't it? That it does. And so I always tell people, make sure even if it's your wife that's loaning you the money out of her out of her funds, have a signed contract with your spouse. If you mm. if they are putting money into the company, make sure you have something in writing that specifies what her expectations is or what his expectations are. Because the last thing you want is for you to spend eight eight to ten hours a day at work. And then go home and have to have a whole nother eight to 10 hours of conversation about the same thing. Oh, my God. You're so right. And and I give the same kind of advice. Anyone that's involved with the business on a managerial or silent partner should be part of the operational or organizational chart and, and have a role. And, know, you know, everybody needs to know what everyone's role is. And so that that's important because once somebody puts money in, they say they're, they're, they're silent. And then all of a sudden they're saying, well, I don't like the colors on the wall. I think you should paint it this color. You know, everybody has something to say. Exactly. <laughs> what is one thing that you're really excited about right now in, in your business? What we're excited about is we're not, not picking any sides on the political nature, but the tax laws have really benefited business owners. Yeah. We most business owners now then can make let's take that same person that had the hundred thousand dollar W2 that you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. If I have a hundred thousand dollars and I'm a business owner, I'm only paying tax on eighty thousand okay. dollars. I'm not paying tax on a hundred thousand dollars. So that's an exciting thing as to learn how to redevelop the tax laws that have come out and how we can greater harness that. Another thing that's really exciting is the the way that the government has finally started learning about self-insuring yourselves. I don't know if you've ever studied that policy or not, but no. A fran- say, for example, you got three or four franchises that all are, in, well, there was a restaurant that had some bad lettuce and tomatoes, and all of a sudden they had a listeria breakout. Mm-hmm. Now then, the rest of the franchises across the country they were fine, but because of one franchise's bad, bad situation, they, their brand was tainted. We actually work with clients on setting up what are called captive insurance policies. They self-insure themselves against a brand-tainting event. So they created an insurance company. They put the premiums aside so they're not paying taxes on that money. That money is actually invested in their own insurance company that they own. And then they use that money to do other investments with. And there's a life insurance company that owns a hotel on Waikiki Beach. And instead of selling the hotel, they just rent out the rooms to help pay for the policies. But what's exciting is that once you get into business and with the way the tax laws are currently structured, there are so many new avenues to grow your money and to expand it. And that's what we get excited about helping clients find those new loopholes. And loopholes is really a bad term. To find the same policies that are already put in place. 
as I tell people, tax laws are written either by politicians for themselves, for the lobbyists that pay the politicians to write the tax, to, to put in place the tax cuts, huh. or for the judges that rule on their own investments that are part of the tax code. So everybody has a vested interest of self-gain in the tax code. It's just a matter of making sure you take advantage of them. Right. Amazing. That's an amazing insight. You're exactly right. You know, without getting political. So I appreciate that insight so much. What is one myth that you would like to bust about either the taxes or accountants or franchises, even if you have anything for that? The one myth that I would like to bust is people think that they can go and just hire somebody to do their books. Mm -hmm. And the books tell a story. As I tell some of my clients, you are allowed legally to keep two sets of books. You keep the set of books that you have to report to the IRS underneath what's called an income tax basis. And you also get to keep a set of books that you get to report to your banker for when you want a loan. And legally, we get to keep two sets of books. There is nothing wrong with it. But you've got to make sure you have a bookkeeper or a controller or somebody that's handling the reporting that there are two sets of books and the same transaction. I We have a client who is getting ready for a they're trying to get a loan and they need cash flow for their debt servicing to be at 1.5. Now they spent $52,000 on equipment. Mm -hmm. They have every right to fully expense that equipment on the tax return as an expense, or we can capitalize it and take a hundred percent depreciation on it. The different, it makes no difference on the tax return because it's still a zero taxes on that money. But one set of books shows they have $52,000 more in cash flow. Therefore, they're able to service their debt versus the other way. <laughs> and so it's the same exact money going out, but you need somebody who is qualified and understands how the money needs to be reported and explain. I was talking to a friend of mine that used to be a, uh, a manager at Delta Airlines, and we were joking about autocorrect. He said, too many times a pilot would turn in their summary of the day's activities, and they always said they talked to the station manger. <laughs> the station what? They never proofread manger and manager. Now, autocorrect is going to say it's an acceptable word, but you and I know when you actually read it, it means two completely different things. Right. And that's the same thing with your books. Just because somebody says they can code your books doesn't mean that they're coding them correctly or getting you the best the best interpretation for your books. Wow. That that's great. A little bit kind of complicated and over my head, but I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's what we got you for. So you can handle that stuff. I'm not I'm not a numbers guy. So that's but it's amazing, right? So you could really do some fantastic things and, and really work the books the right way. And to do it, you know, within the realm of franchising is great. So Tab, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? 
The best piece of business advice was that I received is to have a clear written vision of where you want your company to go. Because if you don't have a clear written vision, then you're just floating aimlessly out there. And it doesn't matter if the vision is the amount of time that you service a customer from start to finish. Doesn't matter on how you want the feel of when somebody walks into your business to be. Whatever it is that you're focusing on for your business, write it down so everyone understands what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So well, so well said. And I think important to understand that your vision will come true, more likely come true if you write it down. Your brain will, once you write down a vision down, your brain will start trying to figure out how to make it happen. Exactly right. And and there's all sorts of great classes and, and videos you could watch on that. And, and I try to share that with my candidates as they're buying a franchise. One of the first things I tell them is to write what I call a goal statement. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of them, it's the very first time they ever wrote their goals down or even really thought about it. And, and I just have them answer one simple question. What would, if we sat down together and had lunch three years from now, what would your business have to look like to tell me that this was, this was a success and I'm happy that I did it. And unfortunately, and that's excellent because a lot of people don't, we live in a society where people aren't encouraged to, to pursue their goals or their dreams. Have you ever seen the crabs in a bucket? Do you know how to keep multiple crabs in a bucket? Yeah, you tell the story. Go ahead. Well, have you heard this one? I, I did, yeah. Well, if you put one crab in a bucket, it's going to go up one side and crawl out. If you put two crabs in a bucket, they're going to turn their backs on each other and go out opposite sides. But if you put three in the bucket, they keep pulling. One keeps pulling the other two down so that no one can ever escape together. That's right. That's kind of how our society is. Our society, and what I tell my clients is, Society right now, when you become a business owner, you're in the less than 10% of the population that actually wants to try to achieve their dreams and goals. That's right. Everybody else wants to stay down below because no one encouraged them. So we are here to encourage you to achieve your dreams and goals, but you needed to let us know what those dreams and goals are. Write them down so we can help you accomplish them. Yep. And it, it, so much goes into that. And, and it, that's so powerful. And I'm so glad you went there. Because I, I, I want to be inspiring to people as they listen to the podcast. It's a shame that most people try to talk us out of our goals and dreams. And sometimes the very best thing to do is not tell anybody about what you want to do. Like if, if you find a franchise that you love, I guarantee if you tell your friends and family, they're all going to try to talk you out of it. Yeah. And for their own reasons, not for you. You know, yeah, they might love you. And they, you know, like, oh, my God. But they have you put in a box in their mind. This is you. This is what who you are. And if you're going to change and, and go, you know, make a left turn. Now they're going to have to think and like, oh, my God. Now, how do I how am I going to deal with this guy? You know, he's not you know, he's not a subway conductor anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> when I made my move. Well, and change is scary. A lot of people can't handle can't accept change. And they they have the best of intentions. But at the end of the day. It's your dreams. It's your goals. So find a group of people that will help you achieve those. And those people are out there. That's right. Like you. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Thank you for that. And they say, you know, one of my favorite quotes is you are the combination of the five people you hang around with most. And so you have to look around at who you're hanging out with. And I remember years ago, 
my grandmother used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. <laughs> right? well, and, and that's exactly. I mean, so at our office, we went through the process where, except for the last person we just hired, everyone we hired had to run a business beforehand. Even if it was just a small cake shop, everyone that works for us has had business experience. They know what it's like to have to meet payroll, to have to file their and pay taxes. So they have that internal understanding of what every business owner is going through. That's amazing. But I will say that one of the last ones that we hired also have been bartenders. So that's always been a nice uh, recipe on a Friday night. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to do what you got to do to make it work. <laughs> exactly. So we're talking with uh, Tab Birkenhow, and Tab is a tax accountant and a lawyer. How could we get in touch with you, Tab? The easiest way is to go to our website, thenumbershouse.com. You can also email us at tab, that's T-A-B, at ba-pc.com. That's my CPA firm, which stands for Burke Halter and Associates. Or you can give us a call at 865-984-4080. Tab Burkhalter, thank you so much. This is so insightful. I realize we got to, we're going to have to do a second show because <laughs> you have so much information and just that whole inspirational part. I got, we could do a show just on that. If you could see kind of behind me, that's, that's a, my book cover for my first book, the magic of choosing uncertainty. And uh, you can see two street signs there. It's unhappiness or uncertainty. And most people choose unhappiness and they stick with the crappy job and uh, they never go after their dream. So People like me and Tab, we're here to help you and inspire you to go after your dreams. This is the best time in history to be in business. It's so easy. It truly easy. is. It truly is. It's, it's amazing. It's just amazing. Everything is on your side. Yeah. So contact me at the uh, Franchise Academy. It's Tom at thefranchiseacademy.com. And you can email me there. And you can also request any topics that you would like to hear about. So, Tune back in, go back to the past episodes. There's a lot out there for you. So, Tab, I want to thank you a million for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. Absolutely. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. All right. Bye. Bye bye. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.